Sterling Fox with you on this Saturday morning. Here's a, 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 a line from an article written by our next guest. The release of the first images taken by NASA's James Webb Space Telescope will inspire generations with the infinite possibilities that outer space holds. Clearly, we have a responsibility to ensure that only peaceful, safe, sustainable, lawful, and legitimate uses of space are undertaken for the benefit of humanity and future generations. This is the opening sentence of a piece at theconversation.com entitled, Outer Space is Not the Wild West. There are clear rules for peace and war. Uh, it is a piece written by our, uh, our next guest. Always a pleasure to say good morning and welcome back to the executive director at the Center for Research in Air and Space Law at Montreal's McGill University, Quan Wei Chen on the line. Dr. Chen, Quan Wei, good morning. Welcome back. Good. Good morning, Sterling. Thank you for having me back on the show. Well, it's great to have you back. It's always fun to chat with this. And it's a great article you wrote. And you and I have talked about space law in the past. And now we have something called the McGill Manual on International Law Applicable to Military Uses of Outer Space. Kind of a chewy title there, Quan Wei, but uh, it's also brand new. It's only been out for a few weeks, right? That's right. Yeah, it's uh, abbreviated as also the uh, McGill Manual. Right, right, um, right. Something that uh, my colleagues and I have been working on for the last uh, six years or so. Six years to put together this international law. Uh, It contains the 52 rules, uh, according to your piece, adopted by a consensus by a group of experts. These rules clarify international law applicable to all space activities conducted during peacetime and in times of tension that pose challenges to peace. And Quan Wei, that's what we're dealing with right now here on Terra Firma. We're dealing with a conflict involving one player that is also a major player in outer space. And of course, we're talking about Russia, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. Um, So um, the Miguel Manuel we're not writing the law, right? So the laws already exist, and they have already existed for the last 60-something years since the beginning of the space age. So we're just clarifying law, you know, as it applies to new applications. Uh, you know, the, the, the using, using satellites facilitate, for example, drone targeting mm-hmm. or facilitate uh, operations during warfare. So these are the, these are the, this is what we find is quite important to clarify as we are increasingly de- dependent on um, space applications. Interesting. So this is what this is where you're talking about. This is where Earth and space actually intersect and not necessarily for peaceful purposes. If you're if you're a military power, Quan Wei, uh, and you've got resources on Earth that you want to use against an enemy and you use space based satellite technology to guide your weaponry at your enemy, then you are crossing over into space and you're militarizing space. And this is where the McGill Manual kicks in, correct? Yeah, that's right. And 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 you know, the militarization of outer space is is not new. Right? Since the very beginning, we've had reconnaissance satellites, and um, the United States, Soviet Union, and, and China, and different countries around the world using space and realizing that space offers such potential. You know, to what watch what your adversaries are doing. Sure. But also, there are um, a number of, uh, as, as we mentioned in the article, a number of civilian uses. Um, of space that are you know that we don't realize the communication this phone conversation that we're, we're having right now it's facilitated through you know communication satellites mm-hmm. um, so the the importance is underlying that you know every single country and you know, modern society is so dependent on space that 
we cannot be going out there and shooting you know, down our satellites or destroying or interfering with satellites. So that would be logically, I suppose, the, the next great concern, wouldn't it, Kwanwei, that uh, it, not only the use of space by powers on Earth to, uh, to, uh, in, in opposition to each other for military, specific military purposes, but then the attacking of the uh, enemy's assets in outer space. That's what you're most concerned about. It certainly that sounds like what, what your, your, your fears are leading to. That's right. Um, so in space, um, there's something called dual use. Right? A lot of space objects, satellites, are of dual use. So they serve both a military and civilian purpose. Mm-hmm. So you know, in peacetime, you know, we rely on space technology, as we mentioned, for air traffic control. Um, you know, as the backbone for our overall financial system. Mm-hmm. To say and nothing of the weather, right? Exactly. Exactly. Weather monitoring and remote sensing to improve our you know, agriculture and so on. Um, but, you know, the danger is that if there are tensions on Earth, you know, it may escalate and an enemy may, may see um, your space assets as something that's easy to target and as a, as a very easy way to basically blind you in, in the fog of war. Um, so we, don't, we do not want that to happen. And what we, the McGill Manual tries to emphasize is there is no distinction between military and civilian purposes or uses in outer space. Hmm. Okay? All these uses must be carried out in accordance with international law. So now you talk in the McGill Manual about the 52 uh, precepts that are, are legal precepts that uh, essentially form this this uh, new law of militarization in space and so on. But for a law to work, Kwanwei, and you and I have talked about this in the past too, for a law to work, everybody has to buy in. Are you confident that the residents of planet Earth, all of us, are ready to buy in to such uh, a legal framework? Yeah, so... As I mentioned, this is not—it's not a bunch of people sitting together and writing the law. It's—it's uh, it's a consortium of experts from around the world, including Russians, including Americans and Europeans and Japanese and Chinese, and different other nationalities, um, sitting together and you know again underlying that international law has existed from the beginning of the space age. Right. So you know even at the height of the Cold War. The Soviet Union and U.S. and different countries sat together and realized we need to have ground rules in space to prevent, you know, escalations of conflict. Mm-hmm. So, so and, and the, our so our purpose in you know, having consulted different people, experts around the world, and also consulted different governments, um, and you know, received their input on 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 such uh, ground rules. Our purpose is to again clarify that. These laws are, exist, and these still, laws are still relevant to today's context. Indeed, and the laws that exist are, in many cases, uh, United Nations treaties or agreements that have been standing now for many decades, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, they, they, As I said, they've existed since um, the Cold War, 1960s and 70s. And it was quite miraculous that even at a height of you know, superpower rivalry, they could sit together and say, Okay, international law applies to outer space. But everything we do, you know, the exploration and use of outer space must be conducted with, under international law. Right? So they, they agreed at the time, and today there is no difference. Right? States still continue to say, yes, we agree that international law applies. And so our purpose uh, through the McGill Manual is to remind states, remind governments and space operators that whatever they do, whether it's civilian or, or military activities, 
everything must be conducted lawfully. Right. It's, it's, it's governed by law no matter where you are or what the intention might be. So, again, what form of uh, 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 supervision, for lack of a better word, Quan Wei, it, it comes with this package? In other words, if someone is clearly in violation of one of these basic principles, is there now or will there be some kind of agency or commission or government uh, that one can bring a complaint forward to, such as a world court kind of thing? Yes. So so there's always recourse to the International Court of Justice, right? uh, because that's the enforcer at the international level of international law. Um, but I think um, oftentimes, uh, again, between you know different countries, um, the fact that you know you are labeled as a outlaw, right? The fact that you are called out for your irresponsible and illegal behavior, that often is enough to um, be a deterrent for states to, to uh, and, and, and um, dampen their you know, outlawish behavior. Right. Now, this is, uh, it would seem to be quite a welcome document. It's been, you've been working on it for six years. I would imagine it's being warmly received, correct? It has been one of these. So throughout this last six years, um, we have engaged different governments and we have been also invited to the United Nations to present our findings and prevent the process with the hope that, you know, as we inform the public and inform different governments, we can also have their buy-in and have their acceptance. Right? And, and so through these engagement events, um, a lot of countries have said this is, this is something that we, have, we are looking forward to. Um, which is which is very promising. Indeed, these internationally agreed laws must inform peaceful exploration and cooperation in space. The fate of future generations depends on this. This is the last line. Uh, the article is entitled "Our Outer Space Rather is Not the Wild West." There are clear rules for peace and war. The author of the article, which you can find by the way, friends, at theconversation.com. The author is our good friend in Montreal, Kwanwei Chen, the executive director at the Center for Research in Air and Space Law at McGill University. Kwanwei, thanks very much for, for jumping in with us again this weekend. It's always a real pleasure to have you on board. Yeah, thank you very much, Tony, and uh, good morning and good weekend to everyone. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.